You're listening to the Simple Growth Podcast, the show that helps business owners get their life back. Here's your host, Mike Callahan. Hey, welcome back to the SA Weekly Talk Show. Special guest this week, on-site Trav. Trav and I met for the first time in person at GIE Plus Expo 2018. Um, Jonathan Potoshnak, some people may know him as the Lawn Care Millionaire. Um, Jonathan and I were, were hanging out by our side at the Galt House and met Trav and uh, Blake and um, a couple other guys. Uh, Caleb was another gentleman. We're just really impressed with the three of you guys. Your, your knowledge of social media YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, amongst other things. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, basically Trav's um, background of starting out in Sarasota, Florida, starting a lawn care business like a lot of us in high school. Um, he actually went out and sold that business, went to college, and he had two to three different other ventures thereafter. Um, and now he's, he's in the uh, Sarasota market doing forestry and clear, clearing. Um, but I'm going to open it up to you, Trav. Kind of give us a quick background if people haven't heard you you know, elaborate on that background just to kind of get a feel of where you're at um, for, for the past and where, where you're at now. And then uh, we're going to dive into the social media game as well as uh, going out and, and creating um, equipment around bobcats and excavators and different things like that. So uh, floor is yours, brother. Appreciate it. Yeah, my, uh, my background is like a lot of guys in this business, like start out 14, dad's dad's garage, dad's lawnmower, neighbor, $20 bill. And uh, started like that, printed off some stuff on the computer, did the flyers, got eight accounts. You know, upgraded the bicycle and, you know, taught, you know, ran around the neighborhood, turned 15, 16, had enough cash, uh, saved up to get into like a little X Mark standard Metro sulky, still the best lawnmower they make. I'm just going to throw that out there. 36 Kawasaki is bad. Um, see these guys with these right standards and these skags. I'm like, you guys don't even know about real, real mowers, you know, but, um, anyway, built that thing up, had some high school buddies, uh, some youth group kids that would help me out. And uh, by the time I got to my senior year, we were just under 100 lawn accounts, doing just about 10 grand a month in revenue. And mom and dad were like, hey, it's time to go to college. I'm like, no, it's not really the plan. Like, I'm crushing right now. Like, I'm doing really good. Like, you got 100 grand gross almost, uh, just shy of that. And uh, ended up selling it to a neighbor who had a concrete company. Um, and it was 07. Things were starting to wind down, if you remember. And uh, they, had, uh, they bought that company. So I ended up selling off my residential lawn accounts to them. Um, got uh, 50 grand for it, which is kind of sweet. Went to college with that in hand. Uh, 08 then happened. Uh, fuel prices went through the roof. I messed around with biodiesel. I bought a 7.3 Power Stroke when I had, before I'd sold the lawn business, but you know, I, that was kind of my high school goal and I got it. And uh, so, super interested in biodiesel stuff. Ended up going, pouring a lot of investment into that and uh, needed to flip another lawn business. So, I started another lawn business uh, between sophomore and junior year, uh, flip that and then did it three more times. Uh, and the last one, I used the proceeds from it to get into Bobcat work. I knew that I wanted to go into that direction. I was just always kind of scared to go in it because I just didn't know anyone that was doing it. Again, like at the time, I mean, there were, there were obviously Bobcats out there. They've been out there for a couple decades, but there just wasn't any information on it. You'd see like Bob's Bobcat service and you're like, oh, that that's kind of like he's got the sweet four by four truck and a gooseneck trailer. And I'm like sitting there at 19, like that's what I'm trying to do. But I just didn't even know where to start. Tracks, wheels, tractor, you know, stand up Bobcat thing. Like I had no idea where to go. Um, so post-college, I bought my first Bobcat, super old, 97, uh, 873, like bought it cash for like 13 grand, uh, towed it around with my F-250 and started doing services for lawn and landscape guys instead of working for homeowners 
Um, so I went like super niche. I went like, I'm just gonna like, I literally sit at a gas station in the morning and collect numbers or take pictures of trucks as I went by. I uh, developed like a cold call script. So I'd call up dudes and just say, hey, uh, saw your truck on the road. Wanted to ask if you do just lawn care or you also do some land. I'd like have a conversation and the short of it is I'd grab an email address, put them on my email list. And at some point down the road, that would end up being a customer. Um, well, awesome, I, man. I, can't, I can't relate to that uh, story. It's so it's like I can relate to it so much. And it uh, started freshman year in high school myself, pushing the lawnmower around the neighborhood. So um, it was really yeah. interesting to have your perspective on that. So it, it looks like you've actually started and sold several of these lawn care businesses before you actually got to the end game. Um, so as you're going in, you know, in, in selling this lawn care business, was there a key takeaway? Do you recommend someone getting into the lawn care landscape maintenance space before making that headfirst jump into the heavier equipment and uh, work that you're doing? Is there a benefit or a pull, like a, maybe a negative to that as well? Uh, what, yeah. what was your thought process? Yeah. So, so my thought process, and I'm always like trying to teach it in the best way I can. There are guys who certainly can skip a step. But I think from any guy who's working a job or you're in high school, right? So like there's two, two things that are happening. Like either one, you're working for somebody else and you're like, I want to start a lawn care company, whether you're working in the industry or not. Or two, you're in high school and you're like, I don't want to go work at a restaurant. In my case, it was like I was too young to go work at a restaurant in this state, in this town. Like I had to be, it'd be like 16 or older. And I'm like, that's not going to work for me. You know, so I started at 15, 14, pushing around lawnmower. Um, I always tell guys start a lawn care business because two things are going to happen. One, you're going to learn business and you're going to make mistakes at a very small level. Like having a flat tire on a lawnmower is no big deal. Having a flat tire on a Bobcat is also not a big deal, but a bigger deal, bigger expense. Um, and not something I recommend guys get into. It's also higher cost, right? You gotta have a truck, trailer, a Bobcat. It's pretty physical. Um, you gotta figure out how to sell it. And I associate the two services as exactly the same. I think a Bobcat, we're speaking skid steer. Bobcat's kind of the generic turn, right? But like skid steers are zero turn lawnmowers. They're one and the same. They both operate pretty much the same way. Um, but, but I think that it's critical that a guy builds a lawn and landscape route first, because one, he builds cash flows and reoccurring revenue. Two, he creates his own need. I started by creating my, I was my own customer. My first jobs were for me. I didn't just go work for landscapers right out the gate. I was like selling someone on a sod job. I'd rip up the sod. I'd bring in the new sod. I'd lay the sod. You know, I'd do the grading. I learned on my own job. So by creating a lawn care business, you're going to create reoccurring revenue. You're going to also have a need and you're going to be able to fill your own need with your first machine. I got to a point though in the lawn care where I started getting like older into my 20s, 22, 23, 24. And I started looking around and I'm like, where did all my awesome help go? Like all my awesome high school buddies that were like, yeah, 15 an hour, rock on Trav. They were gone, right? They were like selling insurance. They were getting married, they had kids. They weren't like going to go mess with like the sun in July in Florida with me, like go mow lawns. So I had this labor pool that started kind of falling away from me. And no matter what I would do, I'm not a great manager. I, I, I have enough self-awareness at this point to know, like, I'm a good, like, gang leader. Like, I can lead, like, six, seven people, maybe 12, but I'm not, like, a corporate guy. You know what I mean? At least at this point in my life. I don't have – I just – I'm not self-developed enough. Um, and so I had a real hard time keeping more than six or seven guys going, and I hated the process. Like, I was like, I don't like this at all. Like, I'm making a net of, like, 20% after costs. Um I've got a lot of moving parts, like 
six weed whackers, two edgers, you know, nine blowers, you know, like you just run the numbers on two, three trucks running around town. And I was like, I just want to consolidate everything into me, a bobcat and a trailer and just have an idea of what's going on again. And I actually ended up scaling that. Like we got back to three trucks, three machines, four guys. Like I ended up scaling it up. Um, but it was like, it gave me a lot of peace to be able to just make that transitional switch. It also gave me like my first win. Cause like at 18, like it was like, I had 50 grand to go play with. Like I had no debt, paid for a truck, like 50 grand in the bank account and I'm living at mom and dad's. So like, you know, so like the, the like the opportunity is wide open. It's like, what do you want to do? I have no credit score at this point. So I can't even go mess up. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to go mess up right now. Worst thing I could do is like go to Bali or something like that and blow 20 grand. Like, uh, which I didn't do, which I kind of like somewhat regret. Um, but I, I tell everyone like build a lawn care business because you can build it. You can sell it. You can get a little bit of a, like a small nest egg to start working with. And you can kind of figure out like, is this for you? Is it not for you? If you have success in lawn care, I think that it's a prerequisite to having success in Bobcat services. Not to say that you can't just jump right into Bobcat services and go gun ho but you get like a good knowledge of your area and of your local industry by going lawn care first. So that's my opinion. Also a lot cheaper, right? Like you can get a lawn care for a couple grand. Yeah, interesting perspective. I, I kind of like it, the fact that it's, um, this is something that Jonathan talked about in his Dominate Your Market talk at SA5, uh, talking about doubling down and, and tripling down on your marketing spend right out the gate. You really want to test the waters, make sure it works, make sure your office can handle that workflow, you can handle the cash flow, and actually the quality. So I really like the fact that you're, you're, you're going to say, okay, as a prerequisite, we really probably should figure out the business model, how to actually manage the cash flow, how to go out and go acquire a customer to fulfill that, and probably bill it, and hopefully he's obviously get paid. Um, so it's really an interesting perspective on that. Um, the other thing you hit on there was, and this is in this, I may challenge you a little bit and see where your, your head's at with this and, and yeah, thoughts and it's not right the wrong way. Uh, but one of the things that really caught my attention, and, and this is something that I've been seeing a lot with a lot of people we've been talking to. Um, man, I hope you're hydrated, brother. <laughs> oh, bro. Got you, man. Got you. Um, that's funny. But anyways, basically, this is Florida. That's what people don't get. You know what I mean? Like I see guys striping lawns everywhere on Instagram and I'm like, I wish we could stripe. All our customers are just like, keep it down. It's <laughs> like, upstate New York, not chocolate. It's cold out. <laughs> uh, dude, I wish it was, man. I mean, if we've got 84 degrees out here today and it's still hot and humid. You know? <laughs> Love it, man. So to get back to that, just question was, uh, basically you'd grown that business and, and then kind of scaled it back because um, basically you had some labor issues and some other things that may have been going on or just things that you didn't want to deal with as far as headaches. Very common in our industry. And maybe I'm not even really challenging you. I'm just kind of interesting where your thought process was, um, but buying a, a machine that was more efficient and we're going to get it later to talk the way you could potentially automate that machine. Um, was it your thought that it was just the labor was such a headache you wanted to scale it back to make it easier or was it twofold and like, I mean, potentially we could start using this machine to generate more dollars per hour and there's less management layers and more profitability. There's a couple parts to it. Like one, there was the kid in me that saw like the old men, like the gray hair, the guy like in his like mid fifties has got it figured out. And you and I both know he's got it figured out. Like he's driving around town, you know, everything he's got is paid for. He's got the nice house on five acres on the corner, you know, that's paid for. And you're like, the guy's kind of got his little thing figured out. And I looked at his model and every single one of those guys seemed to be like him, 
had a firefighter, maybe a guy that came in and out of the Navy, you know, on leave helper type of thing. And he had like his different machines and maybe he was specialized in putting up pole barns or doing grading or, you know, working for a few local builders and things like that. But I looked at that and I'm like, man, that lifestyle looks cool. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, I was also the kid that would like trespass on the equipment shops at night. Uh, we, you know, jump, jump the fence, go look at all the cool machines and stuff. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of like, you know, I just, I like construction machinery. Um, and I read this article from Lawn and Landscape who puts on the GIE and I kept, I've yet to be able to, I found it once and I can't re-find it, but it was about this gentleman. He had 20, I remember this so clearly. It was in 06, uh, 06, 07, I read it and he, he made the cover and I still can't find his, uh, find this thing. And I, I remember like getting that in the mail and I read it. He had 21 or 22 employees and he watched one of his employees break three shovels in a row trying to move a boulder. And he was just like, what is going on here? Right. And he ended up like getting rid of like he just shut down his business because he was in a financial space where he could do that. And he went out and bought like really specialized machinery, which now I realize is like mini X and skid steer, some stuff like that and kept his best three guys. And he claimed that his revenue went up and his profit margin went through the roof. I was like, you know what? That kind of makes sense, right? Like machines are eventually, uh, they're due to take over. Like at some point in time, machines always beat labor. And I saw my own labor pool shrinking and my own margins. Like, I mean, even though my accounts were tight and I got really good at picking up lawn accounts because like I was essentially building a lawn route and selling a lawn route. Like that, that became my new business model. It was like build and sell. And I would need like two or three guys to like help me do that. And each time I built it and sold it, I just, it was just that much harder to find a new crew. Like I just couldn't find new crews. Um, I call it like in a lot of my YouTube videos, like my labor pools, just they were not the ideal human beings, if you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? They're the guys I'm looking for for like 12 an hour, 15 an hour. Uh, and you're like hoping the guy has a driver's license, isn't past due on his child support, and like doesn't have a DUI from the last seven years. You know what I mean? And like that's one out of 100 candidates that you interview and you might not be grabbing him, Brightview might be picking him up. You know, like he's got a family or whatever he wants benefits. And you're like, hey, we're a small business. We don't offer health care at this point. So I was just like, this is a losing battle for a young guy moving forward long term. Like I just, I was like, I don't have to got any better. I mean, so trust me, I totally get that. Uh, so I was just kind of perspective on that makes sense. So I guess kind of going into, so let's say we're going to dive into, um, you know, this Bobcat work and, and some excavation work. Um, What's your thoughts on going in and actually going and buying the top of the line equipment, or do we start with the starter setup? I know a lot of guys, since the the, the entry entry level expense to go buy this equipment is is pretty expensive. Would you have any suggestions, or how did you start? Did you start with some lower level equipment, or did you just go for the top shelf equipment and, and incur that debt right off the bat? Yeah. So, uh, so there's something called like big. There's a book called the Lean Startup, real big in like internet circles, like you know written by this guy named Eric Reese, super genius guy. Um, and he's got this idea or this concept of the MVP, minimal viable product. And he's basically like, hey, before we go build something, let's make sure that it's going to work. Because a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we get excited about what we're doing. We believe in it. We're like, oh my goodness, this solves a need. So we jump in it and we start building it. And we realize when we get down the road after we're already like biodiesel status, like I'm already 30 grand invested, it dawned on me, like I'm probably not going to beat Exxon at this game. Right. Like I'm probably not like I've got to figure out a different route here. Uh, we were actually competing with some guys who like I didn't really realize how valuable we were messing around with anyone who knows biodiesel. It's like vegetable oil from restaurants typically is what you call a feedstock. And the other people that we were encroaching on their business, 
Um, they were big, big players. And I realized at some point I was like, oh, I didn't really MVP this right, right? Like I'm a little too invested uh, now. And I realized I don't even have a tenth of what I need to even get to the next level of even having a region of, you know, like I couldn't even supply, not supply my town, but I couldn't really, it, there's a certain level of scale, right, that it takes. I didn't MVP it right. So what I would recommend to guys is MVP. The way to MVP to see if there's demand, see if it's a fit for you is rent your machine. Sell the job. Put the rental price and the delivery, pickup and delivery from the rental company in the price of the job. If it's a rip out job, like typically a lot of guys will just rip out old landscapes. I was like my bread and butter. I was like, I'll go to neighborhoods that were 30 years old and the landscapes, as my mentor would say, had kind of served their purpose. And I would knock on the door and say, you know, this landscape has served its purpose. Here's a picture of one that we had done down the road. And I'd show it to them and create a desire. So I would start by just renting an excavator with a thumb and a dumpster, have a dumpster dropped off, and I would just pull the stuff out, put it in the dumpster, take a rake and grade it out. And that ended up being like a great $1,000, $1,500 a day project for me. Didn't need any employees. Um, sometimes I'd have a guy help me out with a chainsaw just to cut down limbs. So the MVP is number one. Number two is what I call the POS cat. Uh, it's, the, it's the piece of shit, right? Like it's the thing that just works, gets the job done. Uh, mine blue black smoke like crazy, but it ran. Um, it's the thing you can get into that's paid for, that's cash, and here's why. If you find out you're not, the sales are slower because you think like you're gonna get this new machine and you're gonna be booked. And the reality is you get this new machine and you're like, darn, I don't have any jobs. You go out and you get a job and then you're like, okay, I finished that job. And then you realize you hadn't been selling jobs because you've been working. So you're like, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting better at this sales pipeline thing. I'm learning sales, but I'm not really killing it. If you've got a used machine, you might have downtime, you might have repairs, but you can always go back to renting if you do for the day, if you need to rent a machine. But you also, at which point you're booked and you realize I need a better, more efficient machine, you already have the down payment for your daddy machine. So you can literally go and say, you know what? I got into this Bobcat, had wheels. Uh, it was an open cab. Now that I'm like getting better at what I'm doing, I realize open cab's actually pretty good because I can communicate with people outside the cab, but tracks are ideal for, you know, Florida, for example, right? Like it's swampy here. So we're like, yeah, tracks are pretty ideal. And so you kind of have a better idea as opposed to if you had only rented a machine, only had a few hours in it, you go and buy something, you sign up for a bunch of debt, potentially a bunch of debt, um, or you waste everything you built selling a lawn care route off, either way you do it. Um, and you realize like, you know what, I'm not exactly in my ideal machine. You kind of jump the gun. So I like to tell guys to go slow with it, like rent, get a POS. And then at which point you feel like, yep, I got a customer list. I've been doing this for more than a year. And I definitely am looking for the efficiency gains to be had with newer machines. That's when you go ahead and start making those gains. Awesome. Great advice. I love testing that model, making sure it's a viable model and then having to make sure it's able to be scaled. And then once you have that work log, um, you know, watching that debt. And I think a lot of people in especially in the service industry will go in and buy that $70,000 truck or that piece of equipment and not have the work to support it. So, I mean, that's great advice. I know it's a lot of entrepreneurs that made that mistake. I was fortunate enough to get lucky and not actually get into that situation myself. But, you know, yeah. we've ran into so many people. And I think the next thing you kind of hit on is um, you started talking about maybe one-time services. So do you look at going into it, productize your offering? So basically what I'm going at is, is basically going as a package offer. So you're not doing just one thing, but you're doing a complete package. So you're taking that, that gateway service of a one-time service or a small part of that entire package. And you're, you're upselling it to, to create that higher lifetime value for that client and, and sell that, that package. So are you tackling those one-time jobs? Or are you going out and actually trying to 
create a, a service package to, to increase that value of that, that service. So the answer is yes and yes. So let's just bring it back to lawn care because it's simple, right? Because in lawn care, I coach with guys doing lawn care and a lot of guys are like, yeah, I charge them for a roundup. I charge them for bush trimming. I charge them for mowing the lawn. I charge them for mulching. I charge them for fertilization, right? Like five things, right? And I always tell my guys, I'm like, whoa, 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 how I would build and sell lawn companies and build them fast is I would create a productized service. I do the same thing in excavation. That's why I think lawn care is critical. I feel like it's a prerequisite to getting into excavation. So what I would do is my flyers wouldn't say lawn care. They would say all in one service. So I would basically say like the issue in lawn care, and you know from this, is when you get multiple companies on a lawn and there's a problem, it's not the it's not the fertilization guy's problem, it's the lawn care guy's problem. Like his blades aren't sharp, right? Or he's bringing fungus from another yard onto their yard, right? Or if you're the fertilizer guy, you're putting it on the lawn care guy. Like, yeah, he scalped it. I would just try to cut everybody out and just be like, hey, own the relationship with the client because ultimately when I sold the business, I wanna sell the relationship with the client to the next owner and he can outsource or do whatever he wants to do. So what I would do is I would go I actually built one business one time where I outsourced everything, even the lawn care. So I went and sold the service to out-of-state buyers. So we're in Florida. A lot of people buy vacation homes here for the winter, snowbirds, as they call them. I would sell them on their service, and then I would outsource their lawn care and outsource their fertilization and outsource their pool service. And then when we had 50 accounts, I went and bought another truck, bought another trailer, and kind of cut some of those guys out or like reorganize it. It's like, hey, you guys do the north part of town, and I'll pick up the small, you know, the south part of town. So if you can productize your service, meaning you can take a service and sell it like a product, it's that much easier to sell, significantly easier to sell. You're not like making everything custom. You're not selling hours. You're not selling time. You're just selling like square foot at a unit price. And you're like, hey, for the all-in-one service, here's the price. Um, and I would let people do two things. I would let them either choose lawn care and fertilization and have a little bit of a discount on both of them by combining them. Or I would let them pick just the lawn care. So we didn't do, you know, I would let them just pick the lawn care and keep their current fertilization company. And over time, I would try to sell them, obviously, on the whole package because I found that we could just keep the lawns looking better if we were there every week mowing a lawn and fertilizing in this town. We normally do it once a, once a month. We do some sort of herbicide, pesticide, fungicide, whatever we got to do for the time of year. So I would package that together and I would sell it as one product and I would come up with like cool names. Like I called it like the all-in-one service. Uh, I call it like the snowbird special. Like I would come up with things and I would, I would kind of take what my customers were giving me back in feedback and I would use, I would regurgitate what they would tell me back in my flyers and my copywriting. So I heard all the time, like, you know, my customer, uh, my customer down here in lawn care is a 50 to 65 year old female. Her husband is like, is there, but doesn't, is not concerned with the lawn. It's her job to maintain, like get the lawn care guy and outsource all these services. And so I found out like that was my customer. I spent a lot of time with these like ladies and I found one thing. They all said communication. They're all like, I want to be communicated with Travis. I want to be communicated, communicated, communicated. So I just said like in our flyer, I was like, we are the communication or I would say all in one service, your ultimate communication or whatever. Just get rid of fat words like ultimate and just go communication. Like the more that it was just the product that I sell. So I do do services, but it's a product I was selling. And then the words they would say, and then I would just sell them on my service. The interesting thing about productized service is I dictated the product. So in the product, you got lawn care, you got Roundup included, you got bushes, you got everything on the outside of your house we took care of. And it was our payment terms. We run your credit card on the first of the month. 
We sent you an email with a receipt. Like that's just how we did business. And we would leave a flag in there every time we did roundup for like advertising purposes and to be compliant, you know? Um, so I urge everyone to sell a product because now what I do is I do the exact same thing with lawn care guys. I sell my physical products. So I do do Bob, you know, I do do lawn and landscape and Bobcat coaching. We're doing forestry mulching now, which we can dive into. But I sell my landscapers on a package deal. So if a guy calls me and he's like, Trav, I need you for a half a day and I need you to rip out these plants with a mini excavator and haul them off. I've got a fixed price on what I charge for that service. I've got a fixed price on what I charge per dump load, whether it's full or half full. It's just like, here's the price. And it's like an a la carte on our price list. So guy can just send it to me in an email. Your you know, basic service, like we charge a minimum to show up. Uh, and I need a one or two dump loads and I'm going to buy that right now. And so like, they just kind of already know. So my landscapers are going out and bidding jobs and they look at a job and they're like, okay, well I can't rip out like all these like magnolia trees around this property, but I'll call onsite Landworks, And like, I already know it's $750 plus $450 a dump load. Probably going to take two dump loads. All right. I'm going to bid 1800 for Trav. That'll cover me for sure. And then they bid the landscaping or they, whatever. Um, so it made it, it enables my current customers, which are lawn and landscape people or large acre homeowners to just, I never have to do a quote. I haven't done a quote in a long time. Like I just send them my price list and then they just, they just tell me what they need. Phenomenal. Phenomenal advice. I would say what's up to John. I just put up a comment here and he, John's comment sparked my next question. Really, um, I know you're really, I know you're really into uh, creating content and you know that, that social media expertise and you talk to that customer avatar ties into John's question, how, how important it is to knowing your client. And um, it speaks, I think your marketing approach is one that is very unusual in our industry. So I applaud you for that. Um, but you're, you kind of rephrased what the client was talking to you in their own words and you overcame those objections or whatever they were looking for. You framed it in what they, was in it for them. Um, so yeah. how important it is to know your client and then is it that you it gives you some ninja knowledge, right? And the way I got this from some guys that built some startups in Austin, right? So I kind of follow these guys that are, I call them like lead entrepreneurs, right? They're building like super exciting million dollar companies. And I'm like in the lawn and landscape space, I'm looking at these guys. I'm like, okay, how do I, I don't have the programming skills, but like, how do I incorporate this and make this cool for what I do and stay in my business? Um, they would take Amazon reviews. This is one of their hacks. They would go to Amazon, look at a product, look at the reviews, print them out and take a highlighter and pen and circle words. Take those words, cut them out, put them on a whiteboard and then write their copywriting or flyer or email based on the keywords in the bank, right? I was like, perfect, how do I get that? I took my hate emails from my customers that are like, we're canceling lawn service because your guys didn't do my bushes, 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 bushes every single time, right? Or I have weeds. People cancel lawn care because in our industry, in our town because of the bushes weren't trimmed or the weeds weren't sprayed. I figured that out, right? So I would then put that in my flyers. So getting to know your clients obviously just gives you a little background. It also helps you understand like, okay, are they concerned? Like for example, that they want to see stripes in their lawn or do they really want something else? Because a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we think they want one thing. So I'd support MVP. You really don't know what anyone wants until you actually try it. You know what you want. And building a product for yourself is always great. That's how I started doing the Bobcat services. I was like, you know, I need a guy that's going to come out here and rip out these old plants so that I 
with my shovel can come out here and plant new plants, right? Like I can't, I can't plant new plants until I can get the old plants out, right? And so that's what I would do. I would say that's the best way to do it. If you can find key questions, good questions, not did you like our service? Because that's a yes or no answer, right? I would ask them and say, hey, if you could change something about our whole process from beginning to ending with your new landscape, what would it be? And I would ask people like, oh, they'd be like, you know, Trav, like I wish you didn't leave tracks on my driveway. Like, okay, cool. You know what? Power wash on the trailer. Simple problem, right? Like I didn't think it was a big deal because tracks, like, you know, they rain off. Like after a week or two, those tracks are gone. But a homeowner doesn't see that. You know, a homeowner sees like, hey, there's a track on my sidewalk. Is that permanent? Is it stained? And so I was like, okay, I didn't really think it was a big deal because they're rubber, you know? And, um, and so if you can do that, if you can take cancellation emails or just ask customers the right question and the key is the right question. Like I don't ask my daughter when she comes back from school, I'm like, how was your day? It's always good. It's always like, so what did you guys do that was interesting or new? And then she's like, oh, we built this, you know? So you're looking, you're trying to pry, you're trying to get that from them for sure. Awesome. You know, as we're wrapping up here, I know you've got a bit of a compressed schedule, but I think uh, as we close here, I'm just kind of, um, Curious on your take of the automating of bobcats or excavation equipment. Where yeah. do you see that going? I, I know that was this could be a quite a long conversation, but but just yeah. the nuts and bolts of it. I don't want to take your whole afternoon, but it's um, it was pretty interesting that your perspective of where you think the industry is going, um, heavy equipment, then and eventually down the line to uh, lawn mowing, landscaping, and and maybe maybe even zero turn mowers being completely automated. Yeah, I mean we kind of already see this with the Tesla, right? Like it's it has autopilot on it. So it's getting closer to the bar and driving home. If you take the car, because we've all seen autonomous self-driving cars at this point, most states have legalized it, so their most laws are ready for it. Um, it if you if you look at it from an Uber perspective, the idea that an individual could go out and purchase a Tesla, whether cash or credit, whatever, but obtain this asset and then basically sign it up for a service like Uber and let it go is pretty crazy for the individual who can't do that, right? So you end up with like this dystopia at some point because you have the haves and you have the have nots. You have the capitalists, like the people who own physical capital or have access to it, and you have the people who only own their labor, right? And the highest level of labor you can kind of get to is like doctor, lawyer, corporate tycoon, right? These are $200,000 a year caps. But if you can get the automated trains or boats, or the, it, the number's endless. So Jonathan and I got in a heated debate about it because his whole thing is like, one day I'm going to be able to automate my entire lawn care operation. And I'm like, yes, you'll need automated trucks, automated mowers, weed whackers. Those mowers are going to have to have a weed macker on. Right? So we got into this. Um, but if you look at the excavation industry, it's, it's, it lends itself. Obviously, that technology is going to be expensive at first. Right, it's like the first phone that comes out. Like uh, Gordon Gecko's got it, right? Early '90s, he's riding around with a big bag phone. Now you're like thousand bucks. I got more technology in the space shuttle, 1960, right? So you're like, you know, obviously it's going to be expensive at first. People who get it are probably going to have an advantage, and then it'll get cheaper, and then they'll kind of be this spot where like it's going to be hard to get in after that, in a way, right? Because if you can sell on service and then have it automated. Like, what's the guy who actually goes out and does the lawn service himself? Like, how's he gonna? What's he gonna compete with, right? Um, but, but Jonathan and I were discussing at what at what time would this occur? Is this 2020 stuff, right? Is it is it that possible, or is it is this 2060? Will we live to see it? 
Um, and, and the answer there is in excavation, we're already seeing it. Um, we're already seeing automated excavators and we're already seeing AI, which is artificial intelligence. So on a, on a big purchase, something that costs $100,000, $200,000 uh, and sucks 10, 20 gallons of fuel an hour, uh, the difference between a human operator and a mechanical operator could be 10% efficiency. Well, that 10% efficiency is, it adds up to an immense amount of money on the back end of that product. So if you could build a neighborhood or a pond to perfection, like to site plan perfectly, no human error, no like nighttime shutdown, no nothing. It just, you print it out on the computer and you send it to the machine and the machine goes out there and digs that hole to spec and to code without ever wasting a movement, right? Same, it's a repetitive motion. Um, that's where we're gonna see it first because because the savings of 10% or 50% is hundreds of thousands of dollars, as opposed to a lawnmower uh, with a unit of labor, so a lawnmower maybe $10,000, and a guy that runs it worth $15, maybe $20 an hour. Uh, if he gets better or you replace him, you're only replacing $15 an hour, and that technology might cost $50,000 to replace. You gotta, you gotta run 5,000 hours to get your money back on it. With a machine that has an immense amount of costs, it's just kind of like automatic. It's like, yeah, I mean, I could run an entire job site myself. Also, a lot of those tasks can be hazardous, right? Like a mining operation or underground operation or underwater operation. So if you're a guy who's mining coal underwater for whatever reason, you're fine paying Caterpillar $500,000, $700,000 for an estimator that otherwise would have costed $150,000 if you can get rid of the operator. So it leaves this half a million dollars on the table if – Caterpillar or John Deere or whoever can figure out the software and the sensors and get it right. Because once they get it right, it's just like a piece of technology. Like this phone probably costs 50 bucks to make once they got it figured out. Probably costs like a couple hundred million to develop it. But now they got it figured out, printing more copies doesn't cost anything. Um, so the conversation there is it's going to happen eventually. But for today, the thing that you can do is you can automate the initial things in your business. You can productize things in your business and you can look for these advancements. The one thing that I saw this year is a, a thing called Engkong. Um, it's basically a thing that goes on an excavator and lets the bucket swivel 360. You can sit in the excavator, there's a Trimble uh, system, it's basically like GPS guided laser. You can sit in the cab and you don't have to get out and measure for your grade points and you can change attachments from the cab. That just limited, that just took out three people out of the game, right? So a guy that's doing foundations and backfilling a foundation and then a guy that's compact you got to have at least one helper, maybe two helpers, right? To assist the guy in the cab. We kind of see, we call it county workers here. There's always like one guy in the escalator and three guys on shovels, you know? Um, those guys on shovels are going away. They're going away because they're a pain in the ass. And like you can do one machine and you can switch to a compactor plate. You can switch to perfect grade. And eventually the guy that's running that machine, like he's a one, you and I could pay him $50 an hour now, right? Like he's a super skilled human being. So he's now worth 50 an hour. He's sitting in an air-conditioned or heated cab, and he's like, I like my job, right? But it's a matter of time till that machine learns its motions just like your phone learns the keyboard over time and you're not misspelling anymore or you continually misspell and it just corrects it for you. It's a matter of time till we can replace that guy, and now we just have the machine. I don't know exactly when it's going to be, but it's going to happen in excavators, and then that technology will just simply be copied. Once it's figured out on the excavator, 
bulldozer, skid steer realm. And you, they have RC skid steers now for hazardous conditions. It's, we can get it on our Bobcat, actually. It's $10,000 upgrade to get it. But you still need a guy that can run it. It solves a few things because in the transition, you can now go to Halo. I call them Halo players, right? Like I can go get a bunch of 18-year-old kids in like, you know, in New Jersey and be like, hey, guys, I got machines out on a job site. We're digging a pond. I need you guys to run them through Halo. You know what I mean? As long as I got a Wi-Fi network out there, theoretically, that should work, right? And at some point in time, the software is going to be like, hey, these guys are pretty inefficient, man. Like they're going from here to there. Not as inefficient as a landscape job. Anyone's been on a landscape job, watch a guy go back to the truck for his water, leave the water in the truck and go back to put it in a plant and then go back to the truck. And you're like, bro, I'm paying you by the hour. You need to bring that water bottle here. You know what I mean? So eventually the machines are just going to be like, hey, there's a lot of efficiency gains that we can do here. And they're going to slowly automate those guys out. And we're going to be left with entrepreneurs who own capital and really can obtain the sales of those jobs. And those jobs are going to be built to spec. I mean, how can a guy uh, compete with an automated excavator that builds things to perfection? Make sure you subscribe to the show so you'll never miss a podcast. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You just can't. I don't think, I don't think there is a way they can. Um, so, Trav, really appreciate your time, expertise, your insight to the future, um, just some knowledge takeaways. Uh, one thing as we close out here the last minute, uh, Eldon had a, a quick question. Uh, needs help finding new labor force. Uh, if you don't mind, Trav, I'm going to jump on this one. And I'm going to ask you uh, your thoughts on it, too. Uh, Eldon, the biggest thing right now that I can recommend, uh, we are in a labor crisis. And Trav's alluded to some of the things as far as the technology and automation. Uh, but for the time being, we are going to need some bodies. Uh, we need to constantly go out and recruit uh, once, twice, sometimes three times a week for every position in the company. Because if we're looking for the position when we need to fill it, it's too late. I use the analogy of a sports team. We're stacking the bench. So if the guys and the girls on the field aren't producing, we've got that qualified labor pool to replace it. That puts you as the business owner back in the power play position. Um, so when you're running that two-man mowing crew, that two-person landscape crew, and the one person doesn't show up, inevitably that crew leader, whoever it is, is left that needs to run that crew by themselves, it's going to blackmail you for that two to $3 an hour raise. That no longer happens. They might last a Friday, but I'm going into my CRM and looking for the labor pool that's qualified that I'm recruiting for. So you need to constantly go out and recruit, in my opinion, rank them in some kind of standardized process. And the biggest thing right now that we're finding, especially in the service industry, is an alignment to culture. The millennial workforce, and I think uh, – Trav, you are right in the middle of that millennial workforce. And correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, a paycheck is not enough. It's going to get you your minimum uh, lifestyle, but there's got to be a lifestyle or cultural alignment, it, it, whether whatever you're aligning to, whatever they believe in. Uh, but if it's just a paycheck, they may be there for five or six months, but you're not going to get three to five years out of them. So uh, we want to sell our mission, our vision, our values, whatever that North Star that our company is about, if we can align with their goals. Uh, one of the goals stories I told at SA5 was an interesting story. And I think a lot of people made a lot of comments on it. So I'll give you a quick um, narration of, of what, it, what it was. But we had a gentleman that came in on uh, H2B worker, Magno. He was from uh, Guatemala. And he came to me from day one. He said, Mike, I'm not going to stay here forever, but I, I, I'm going to come here for two years and work for you. But I need to make enough money to send me and my three brothers to college in Guatemala. I said, that's great. What, what can we do to make you as successful as possible here? And this is what I need in return to make the company successful and profitable. And uh, we came through some, some agreements of what we would do to be the most effective worker for us. And I told him, if you do that, I'll, I'll go down to Best Buy when you're done, year two, and I'll buy you a laptop for you and your brothers so you can use it in college. 
And uh, lo and behold, he was one of our best workers, um, American or H2B. Uh, but this guy, I literally walked him down to Best Buy at, at the end of those two years and ended up buying four laptops for him and his three brothers. It was that worth it. Um, and, and that culture wasn't just alone for him, but it was everybody else in the company that saw that and aligned to it and said, hey, these are the things I want out of my lifestyle. I want to be out early to see my kid's baseball game or my daughter's ballet classes. So cool. We're going to give you the process and systems in our business to allow you to obtain that lifestyle goal long as you benefit the company and we're working together as a team and not beating each other up. So I'm um, curious yeah. your take on it, but that, that that's my takeaways. Constantly recruit, find a yeah. cultural alignment and strictly reinforce it day in and day out. I'm going to push against you in the opposite direction, hundred percent and I tell you that I love you guys not care. Uh, short of it is as an industry, as a whole, it could be a labor crisis. I think that's ultimately going to be solved with autonomy, but it doesn't have to be your problem. So you can put, and, and this is for a guy, like if you've got a, a organization going on and you've got 10, 15, 20 guys there, culture is the only thing you can do. Culture and benefits are the only thing that you do. I worked at a big organization and they would do profit sharing. That was pretty effective, but then you have to share all the numbers, which is okay. I like that. I like just putting everything on the table and I'm like, this is what things cost. And when we win, everybody wins. When we lose, Everybody like doesn't get bonus. You know what I mean? The organization I worked at was called Coke Industries. They put a lot of money. I mean, most of our paycheck was on bonus. We had like we were like kind of like like uh, waiters in a way. Like you get paid like X amount an hour, but you made your money on tips, right? Um, but I would tell you, at run the opposite way. I'd say that in 2018 is a complete and waste total time to if you're starting out to even try to go in that direction, especially if you end up in a down economy and you end up putting a lot of time and pizza parties and all this stuff that you think is cute and cuddly and building a culture, and you end up having to scale down 50%, and you have to look at it and be like, okay, well, this is gonna kill, cut, like, this is gonna kill morale around here, like I gotta make some cuts. It's easy to cut a machine, it's hard to cut a person, um, but I agree with you on the firing thing. If you got an issue with a guy, you gotta fire fast, you gotta let everyone there know that you gotta fire fast. The issue I had in my last company is I got to a point where I wasn't necessarily alpha dog, not the way I wanted to be at my own business. I had a guy who came in and grabbed four of our guys and some of our cash and some of our equipment and rode out the gate. And it was like, okay, I could go put a bunch of effort and time to go get this stuff, or I could just go in the opposite direction and actually teach guys to not even deal with this to begin with, which is what I do on all my channels is I'm just constant. I'm the guy that says like, screw labor. You don't need them move upward into capital. And the more capital you obtain, the more labor, the better quality labor you're gonna get. If you're selling labor, I don't care who the guy is, he doesn't give a shit about your values. Like he's there for a paycheck. And he's there to make as much money as he can per hour, per day, whatever, and move onward. And or potentially you can find a great qualified individual if they're looking for mentorship. So you gotta understand that. You gotta be clear about that from the beginning. It's like, hey, I want to run my own company. I have guys that work for me. I have a guy who works for me now. And he's like, I want to run my own Bobcat service. He went and bought his own Bobcat, he worked for me for two years. He's also a firefighter. So I'm not his can I'm not his reliable paycheck. I'm the guy who calls him, like, hey man, we got big jobs this week. Or he calls me and he's like, What's we got going on this week? I'm like, it's pretty quiet. And that's fine. And it totally works for us. And then he saves money and he actually bought his own Bobcat. And now we tag prop projects together so like we'll we'll knock out a project we'll just split it out 50 50 um and it actually works out really well because i don't have like any of the uh workers comp or overhead i have to deal with but as i said beginning of this i'm not a man i'm not a people manager like i can manage a gang i'm really good with six seven go up to 12 guys i can run like i can run like the jesus fleet 
but I'm not trying to go bigger than that. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to go like 12 guys or down and or lone wolf, but I've got the best equipment, best gear you could possibly have. So that's just my personal approach to the construction landscape trade. That's what I see the older guys doing, like the guys with the paid off houses, paid off trucks, boats that I want, twin engines, the whole thing. I see them doing that. And I see them outsourcing a lot of their labor tasks to other guys. I have a guy in this town, if, if it's labor, if I've got a big project like sod and I can't roll it out with a bobcat, I call on this guy. He's $1,200 a day and he sends me three guys. And those guys get, I don't know what his arrangement is with there. They're all foreign workers. I pay him a check and we're done. And if I got an issue, that's it. I love it. But my approach to it is I think you're going to get burned in labor long term. Yeah, no, I didn't. Much love, Trav, man. I, I, we agree to disagree to an extent, but I think at a smaller scale, uh, you're right. And that labor guarantee may be an issue. I mean, you built like a 25 person operation and all that stuff. I mean, every time I get to six or seven players, I'm like, okay, can I sell this off, grab 80 to 100 grand, and go buy that machine that's whatever that I, the Mundmex machine, you know? Yeah, and I'm not disagree with you. Honestly, if that if that's the, the approach and the, the exit plan, um, you know, I, I think you probably are actually 100% right. And I think we're approaching it from different angles. And that's why we love having people like you on here. So, nothing but love, brother, for your opinions on it. And I think um, I'm not disagreeing with you, to be honest with you. So, if that's the game plan, that may be definitely the right approach to do that. So, that's the beauty of getting people that are experts like yourself on here. Because, you know, myself, Jonathan, um, and the other guys, even like Jason Cup, you know, we're not standing here on a pedestal. There's different ways to get to where you're going. And it's refreshing to see how you can tackle it. So, um, no disrespect, yeah, I love where you're at, and we're definitely going to want to get you back on because I think your your insight and your your perspective on this is refreshing. So, um, you know, I, I love the fact that, that there can be two different uh, opinions on this. So, absolutely. Uh, closing up, man, just out of respect for time, how can people reach out to you if they're interested in hooking up with you or anything that you do, um, you know, in that Bobcat uh, ecosystem? Yeah, yeah. Onsite Trav on Instagram, Onsite Trav on YouTube, and uh, Onsite Landworks with the X online we put up blogs things like that downloadable content a uh, lot of that stuff we've got a bobcat course coming out for guys we've got a free lawn care course on building and selling lawn businesses that's up on youtube at onsite trav uh, youtube backslash onsite trav so just google that and that'll get you where you need to be and we've got i mean hundreds of hours of content up there for you so awesome to go onsite trav simple growth SA weekly talk show brother uh, until yeah. next week we're gonna have some new uh expert opinions and guests uh, coming in. Trav, definitely going to have to get you back on. Uh, keep an eye on the Facebook live feed here uh, on the Service Autopilot page for the SA Weekly Talk Show. Trav, thanks again, brother. Awesome meeting you in person. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, brother. See if you like this show, you might want to check out our resources at www.startsimplegrowth.com. While you're there, enter to win an estimator chatbot. Mike Callahan is available for private coaching.